Across America, we've lost over a 1,000 veterans to COVID-19 in VA hospitals, according to the Veterans Administration. All VA facilities report losing at least one person to the disease. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Continuing to deliver the range of regular and military-related specialized care during the pandemic is a real challenge. The Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center in Aurora has put into place the protocols and practices necessary to continue to effectively achieve its mission of delivering care to our veterans. On this edition, we update vets and families regarding what's taking place at the hospital, any new challenges to be expected, and how to continue accessing care at the facility with its regional director, Mr. Michael Kilmer. Denver Health did a, uh, a drive-through walk-in COVID check for, I guess, anybody who wanted to have it. Are you finding that veterans are calling the hospital just wanting to get a test done, even though they may not have any symptoms at all? There's a few, um, but that isn't uh, a regular trend with us. Um, what, what we're seeing are those veterans who do have concerns with symptoms is the majority of what we're seeing. And uh, so far to date, we've tested more than 4,200 veterans. And of those, we've had in our veteran community 284 veterans that were confirmed positive. The majority of them have recovered, and uh, we currently do not have any veterans in the hospital at this point that are positive with COVID. Okay. All right. So in case you do, you have all the ventilators you need then. Since nobody's there, that's the <laughs> part about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, right now, yes. Well, and, and some of the treating guidelines, too, have changed on that. Um, you know, they're treating people more with just straight oxygen, but... Um, yes, uh, you know, during the early day, if you, if you look back, it was very interesting when this first started. We were, we were tracking all the data with Italy and New York and Seattle and other places. And we were trending very closely with Italy and New York and the patterns they saw, uh, until about two and a half, three weeks into it, uh, when Coloradans responded to the safe, uh, safer at home orders. And we really flattened our curve. Um, so the early days, it was scary, and we were kind of planning for Armageddon and had actually re-engineered the hospital to have up to around 300 uh, patients in-house uh, in case we needed to become a full COVID hospital. Luckily, we never had to go there. So yeah. At most, I think we had it was 17 people at one time in the hospital. Did you have any uh, staffers that uh, tested positive at all? With our employees, we've tested close to 1,300 of our employees, and we have right around 3,300, 3,400 employees total. Um, so there's a pretty good testing rate there. Um, and then we've had a total of 70 staff that um, were confirmed positive. And our staff, uh, most of them have uh, recovered and have returned to duty. Good, 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 good. How about elderly? They are a highly affected group. Um, do you have any special directives for them as far as showing up, coming in, managing any symptoms if they have them because they're in a, that, that specialized group? We're following the guidelines out of the CDC as our baseline. And... Uh, so we help promote those guidelines. 
And, you know, I think it's important to note that our staff here in eastern Colorado and also our veteran population have tested at a lower percentage rate than the general community. Why, I don't know. Um, I would like to say it's because our our veterans, um, you know, uh, are taking it very seriously and following the safer at home orders. Uh, I uh, would also like to say that it's our staff that uh, were ever uh, vigilant. And so I think it's something to celebrate. And when this is all over, it will be very interesting to do those further data comparisons to, to better understand um, why we've had a lower um, confirmed positive rate. Uh, but as far as our veterans, you know, we were also able to quickly pivot to virtual care. And so honoring the safer at home orders, you know, we pivoted um, our primary care and mental health services uh, to all virtual. Uh, we're in the process of bringing some of that back in. We're around 30% right now of face-to-face appointments. Um, but uh, when you do come into the hospital, we're still promoting uh, the virtual care. But if someone really needs to come in face-to-face, uh, we're allowing it. And when they do come in, we have all of the protocols that are required. Our staff are all wearing PPE. And we, if a veteran comes in and doesn't have uh, the personal protective equipment, we give them a mask, and they're required to wear a mask while they're here. You said you give them a mask. Are you taking any temperatures or anything like that when they come in the door so they can expect that? No, uh, we're not taking temperatures. And there's been kind of conflicting guidance around temperature uh, takes, you know, the, the efficacy of it. Uh, so we're, we're sticking with the standard uh, screening questions, shortness of breath, cough, fever, you know, along those lines. And if someone does have those symptoms uh, or, or discloses any symptoms, they're routed through a special entrance where we uh, can test them. Um, ah. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, we catch you at the front door, and then <laughs> if you exhibit any symptoms, we actually have uh, a really nice drive-through system with the emergency department uh, where the whole team, you know, the appropriate team members come out uh, and they take your tests. And um, if, if you need to come in for additional services, you're escorted in through that route. Is there a walk-in route, too, for those who are maybe riding the RTD train? over to the Colfax stop? Yes, um, and it's actually very conveniently located to the Colfax stop because if you get off on the Colfax stop, uh, if you just go down Fitzsimmons Parkway, um, our emergency department entrance is just off of Colfax on Fitzsimmons. Um, So you can walk in through that area too. So like many other hospitals around the area here, have you had to cut back on regular procedures, you know, checkups, you know, that kind of thing to make sure that the hospital would have the availability for any COVID uh, patients you have to take care of? Yes. So, absolutely. We we did um, cancel all elective procedures for a period of time um, because we had to ensure that we had the appropriate amounts of PPE and the appropriate ventilators, because if you recall, back when we were first, when it first hit Colorado, we were anticipating a much more significant surge 
in higher numbers here, but frankly, the the leadership in Colorado and the people responded very, very well, and um, we we blunted that curve for us. So <clears throat> we did go through a period. Uh, we are in the process of reactivating um, our elective procedures now, and so that's where with our um, face-to-face services, like with primary care, mental health, we're allowing them to go up to 50% um, and of in-person. And then elective procedures, our medical team's done an amazing job of really reviewing the records to see who needs to come in first. Um, so we're clinically triaging people and pulling them back in for elective procedures. We have always continued uh, to perform emergent or urgent uh, services. So, so if they're having experiencing chest pains or, or numbness or that kind of thing, your directive then is to bring yourself to the emergency room. <laughs> yeah, call 911 or, you know, get, have someone get you to the ER. And if you're having those type of symptoms that you just expressed, as far as chest pains and, uh, and numbness that could be related to a stroke, it's really best to call 911. Pure speculation on my part, but when you said that a, they were trending lower than what the curve is and following direction, I think it's that military service we had where we're all taught to follow orders and order things, <laughs> and they followed them, and the result is, Flattening the curve. I, I do think that there's something there when you, especially when you look at our our older veteran population. Um, you know, they they recognize they're a greater risk. So I really do believe they they followed the stay at home, safer at home orders. Hospital works with community care providers as well. Are you? Uh, how are you, uh, what orders are you giving them, or are you just using them as backup in case you need them? We do work with community care providers, but uh, so during our time where we paused on elective procedures, all yeah. healthcare providers paused on elective procedures. So um, right now, overall, the medical community is backed up um, on elective procedures. So we still have a significant all of all the same partnerships and contracts that were in place with community care providers are still in place. Um, we of course want our veterans to choose us and to come into the VA, and we're we're promoting that. But if there is something that we can't provide, or if a veteran just has that as their choice and they meet criteria to go to the community, we'll we'll support that. Okay, so the main thing is to contact the hospital first. We're actually now managing our own scheduling for the community providers. That's a recent change. Um, Previously, TriWest was managing that component for us. But frankly, I think it's better that we do it because we can better coordinate the overall care. Um, And so that also, we have the ability to track the availability of the community care provider. So if you call me and you say, hey, I want to go to the community, but maybe the community is going to take you, you know, six weeks, but we can get you in in four, you know, you, you'll you most likely say, okay, I'll, I'll wait for the VA then. But if, yeah. if or, or maybe the reverse is true, we can get you in six weeks and the community can get you in two, you know, we'll, we'll honor those wishes. 
Uh, yeah, you know, that just uh, brought up another question. How far out are you scheduling appointments now? That is really service dependent. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would. I, we, we could get you that information, but um, we're really not that far out. Um, I can't think of in any area right now where we have grave concerns, but, yeah, it really depends on the specialty and type of service you're referring to. Oh, well, without COVID being around, you had a lot of volunteers that would come down and help out at the hospital. Are they restricted from being there now as well until this thing is over, or you find a way to work them back in so they can contribute, they can continue doing the contributions that they've always made? When you look at the average age of our volunteers, they're in that age population that is most at risk. So that was one of the, uh, it was a hard decision because we rely on our volunteers so much. And, um, and they just, the level of service and camaraderie they show to our veterans and the caregivers coming in with the veterans, uh, it's, it's just bar none. Um, but we had, I had to make the tough decision to send them home because they were at the high risk group. Our team is currently working on a plan on how to bring them back in the most safe way if they choose to return, um, but we need to make sure they're they're well informed of and know the risks. Now that there's community spread, you just need to remain well informed and know the risks when you're out. And right now, you know, wearing masks is so critical. We do know that that's helpful. Washing your hands, using your Pirelli or whatever you use, yeah. Uh, yeah. having that social distancing and and um, so speaking of the social distancing, you know, I'd like, I'd like to share with you that if you do come in, you are screened at the door, um, and if you need to be routed to the emergency department, we route you there. If you come in for emergency services, we actually have two pathways now. So the emergency room, they have a scale of it's a heat of scoring. It, it basically rates the severity of your, your immediate need. It's on a scale of one to five, one being the most severe, five being the least severe. And so an emergency department should really focus their expertise on the one through three. And so we're, we've re-engineered the emergency department to do just that. So if you have the chest pains, you're getting in first. You know, they're triaging you. Um, and then if you're at the four or five range, that's more of an urgent care or maybe primary care issue. We're taking you to a different section of the hospital, and that's where the emergency department is. Uh, they established more of a satellite office, if you will, and that's where they're really running more of a urgent care type uh, facility. Um, so we can distinguish between those two, and that's that has not only proven invaluable during the time of COVID, but it's also a stopgap that we're using to redesign uh, the way we manage our patient flow overall because for years we have really um, inappropriately trained our veterans and allowed our staff uh, to develop a culture where um, if you need to be seen today, they tell you to go to the ED. Uh, that's just not appropriate, and so we're reengineering how our veterans can access primary care. And because if you're sick today um, or have an urgent care need today, you should be able to see your primary care provider today. Um, yeah. So we're we're 
going to do the satellite urgent care uh, until we change that culture among our own staff, but also re-educate the veterans that if you are sick today, you can actually call and be seen today. This is one of the things that's coming out of this uh, pandemic, some of the changes that are being made that may stick around for a long time and become a, a regular part of the uh, new outreaches and, and and how business is done. That's one of the good positive things about it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the VA has been a leader in virtual care. And, you know, I think we got a little stagnant with that, and the private sector started surpassing us. Um, but uh, we're, I think you're going to see us turn around even quicker in that area. Um, but we're actually working out plans now to, just as an example, maybe a primary care doctor spends two days a week in their office um, seeing the patients they, they need to physically see, and then the other two days a week they might work from home. Uh, right. seeing the patients they need to see through VA Video Connect and those options. Um, and that would really, one, when I've seen those programs work, it provides a great level of satisfaction for the veteran, a great level of satisfaction for the provider, and frankly, right. it's a better value for our taxpayers because if we can do something like what I just described, will require less physical infrastructure, and uh, that would be a better cost savings for our taxpayers, too. Is, is this what we're also, uh, what you may be using now for uh, veterans who live in rural areas in Colorado? As you know, we have our, our urban centers, but most of the state are, are rural and further away, so is... Uh, uh, so telehealth is probably a real good option that you're putting in the place to uh, deliver maybe assessments to them so they don't have to make the long drive unless they have to. Um, absolutely. And to your point, um, and I, I think you know this, but just for the story, I'm, I'm getting to know Colorado very well because I spent my uh, almost first three years in Colorado, in western Colorado, as the director in Grand Junction. Uh, yeah. And not only do you have rural there, but you really have some frontier land. Um, and, you know, there's even areas that are highly rural here in eastern Colorado. But uh -huh. you're right. Um, and any time I get a chance to uh, advocate for this, it's about building that uh, infrastructure to support um, you know, more broadband across the state and getting that out to the rural areas because, you know, I, I don't see our communities fully thriving without the information superhighway uh, being brought to them uh, because that allows them to access, you know, their virtual care. So there are some areas where if they don't have that type of access, we can't offer it or they have to go to uh, one of our telehealth clinics Um and we do have some telehealth clinics in rural areas for the reason that maybe people don't have that access at home. Where do you have the clinics located? Are they principally in western Colorado, or do we have some out uh, east here too? So a couple of examples on eastern is really down in the southeastern area with like Salida and Burlington. Um, but all of our uh, clinics have the capability, even uh, Alamosa, 
they we provide more uh, specialty services to Alamosa through telehealth. Um, yeah. You know, like audiology, optometry. Uh, they do have a nurse practitioner there who sees primary care patients, but when it comes to specialty, it's just not reasonable to have the actual providers there on a full-time basis. So the most uh, efficient is through telehealth. Right. The reason why I ask that is that the radio signals aren't confined to Denver, and we reach a long way up in the Cheyenne and down south and way out east. And so yeah. uh, letting them know, too, you know, what the expectation is and how they can uh, at least initiate a care to, to receive what they need is really when you said telehealth, I said, ooh, they need to know more about that and, and how to get connected with it because it's going to be really beneficial because some of the older ones are going to say, well, i got to see a doctor. I'm used to going to the dispensary when I was back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To get them to, uh, come on, switch just a little bit. Try this because we think yeah. it's, gonna, you know, it's a great start. All the facilities or, or care that you were delivering over on uh, the, the former VA hospital, over off of 10th Avenue, all, everything has moved over to your new location now, right, if I'm correct? The old facility is completely closed down now. Um, okay. So uh, the reason I, I kind of chuckled is, is because um, we are actually in the contracting process to build a, a brand-new inpatient PTSD building here on the new campus. And recently during COVID, uh, we we had our residential PTSD program located on the old campus in the old nursing home. So right. when we were expecting that major surge during COVID, we had the PTSD program relocate to Valor Point. And so now our domiciliary program, which is a substance abuse treatment program, and our inpatient residential PTSD program, are now both co-located in Valor Point. Here in hopefully no more than two years, our inpatient PTSD program, the residential program, will be here at the Rocky Mountain Regional, and it will have a dedicated wing for women. Good, good. Any mental health services that veterans need are now going to be located in Valor Point then? No, no. So that's only for residential substance abuse and PTSD. Oh, okay. So we still have our outpatient services, and we have reactivated our inpatient mental health unit here at Rocky Mountain Regional. So this hospital, it was, well, you know, COVID's a scary time. It was also pretty exciting to exercise this hospital because this hospital was built as an emergency response hospital. So we can completely shut ourselves off. Uh, from, you know, our sewage to our power to our water and just become our own island. Um, but the way the hospital was designed during the COVID crisis, it truly allowed us maximum flexibility for uh, the drive-through urgent care clinic, the drive-through testing, and to allow for that social distancing. Um, and just even, so like with the inpatient psych unit, for example, that yeah. unit has specially designed head walls in there, so every room can be converted to a double-bed um, med surge room. So if we had to, we actually vacated um, all of our inpatient psych units 
uh, all of our patients that were there, they were either cleared and ready to be discharged to go home or we sent them to the private sector so we could uh, prepare that unit for a med- to be a medical unit if needed. Um, sure. So there's really neat things like that with our, our new hospital that gives us great flexibility. Okay, let me ask you about prescriptions. Uh, basically, they can call them in or... If they've got a prescription on file, then they can still be filled by mail now with the COVID going on. But if they have a new one, uh, it'll have to come from an internal doctor or uh, can veterans that have an outside doctor, how do they get the prescription called into the uh, into the hospital there so it can be filled? Our pharmacy services are still operating like they were pre-COVID. So if you're on a regular reoccurring medication that comes uh, from a distribution center, uh, you can, and then locally we can mail things out. And then during COVID, uh, we actually had a drive, drive up. You could drive in, park in the parking lot, call a number, and they would bring it out to you. Uh, we were doing that specifically for our veterans that had COVID. But as far as community care, if a a provider in the community fills a prescription for you, you can bring that prescription into the VA um, and have it filled, or you can call our community care uh, team that we're expanding, um, and they can help process that prescription for you. Um, So since you mentioned, asked about community care, it, this, we haven't had a chance because of COVID to really advertise this, but yeah, sure. we're, true, we're expanding that program. Um, so when I arrived here, community care was a department um, within another department. It is now a standalone independent department led by Dr. Katie Beckett, who's just absolutely amazing. Um, when I arrived here, she had two uh, providers, doctors that were assigned to her team, We've increased that to four, and we've also expanded the nursing team there. And the vision that I've asked Dr. Beckett to carry out for us is to really ensure that her team serves as the single touchstone for not only our veterans but also our staff. So if anyone has any concerns with community care, they can contact that team and be taken care of. And and with that expansion of um, her services, I'm asking them, and the the guidance I've given them is is they are to ensure the absolute best care coordination in the safest way by acting as that bi-directional bridge between VA, the private sector, and back. And so it's that team. So, So there's some services, you know, that, they'll just process the paperwork for because like if I needed to go out as a veteran, you know, I can just, I can go make my own appointment type of thing. Um, but if you're someone with more complex needs and if you're crossing over multiple care points, the expectation is, is they assign you a nurse manager to help, help you navigate that because healthcare is so confusing. And when you start crossing over, um, you know, let's say you're dealing with some kind of complex oncology or cancer care need and you're crossing yeah. over multiple providers, multiple healthcare systems, 
you really need someone to serve as that air traffic controller. Are we going to be, and this is just a general question there, not only veterans, but uh, we, uh, America generally, this time next year, are we going to be having a, a, a big PTSD for COVID that we're going to have to manage, manage mental health stuff from? That's a very interesting question. Um, like you, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, and, and there's very clear criteria for meeting the diagnosis of PTSD. It's, it's not a diagnosis to take lightly. That said, um, I do... You, you see it now. You see people who are absolutely under a lot of financial, uh, emotional stress uh, because I, I can't imagine what it would be like um, not knowing if you're going to be able to pay your rent when you have to start paying your rent again, not knowing where your next meal might be coming from. Um, those those are obviously very hard times for people, and uh, I'm sure we all know people right now that are economically, regardless if they have COVID or not, but that are economically impacted uh, by the current state, especially those that are in the service industry um, that, uh, you know, look at how long the bars and restaurants had to close. And uh, so, yeah, I... Um, I, I, I do, I, it's going to be a, a very anxiety-producing time for a lot of people when you don't know, you know, as I mentioned, if you'll have a job, if you'll have the money to feed your kids. Um, and this is where I really hope um, that Americans pull together and check in on your loved ones and your neighbors and, um, just be there for each. We thank Mr. Michael Kilmer, Director of the Rocky Mountain Regional VA Medical Center in Aurora, for sharing time with us for this edition. Again, veterans are advised to go online to va.gov slash coronavirus veterans FAQs for detailed instructions regarding receiving care. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And many thanks to you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.